Hi, I'm John, one of the co-hosts of Dad Meta Gaming, and also founder of Wanderlight War Games. Are you frustrated with your current army carrying case? Want to use slick new unit rules, but the official models are way out of date or just plain overpriced? Check out Wanderlight War Games. We are a small business dedicated to bringing you alternative miniatures and innovative peripherals. All our products are designed and made in the USA, and we release new products all the time. Follow new product releases and find our store links on Instagram at Wanderlight underscore Wargames and Facebook.com slash Wanderlight Wargames. Or find our stores directly at Etsy.com slash shop slash Wanderlight Wargames and eBay.com slash USR slash Wanderlight Wargames. Now, back to Dad Meta Gaming. On this week's episode, we talk about RNG and 40K. And I sort of definitely call our podcast by the wrong name right out of the gate. Let's get into it. All right, welcome to Dad Meta Wargaming for another week. This week we have got our six-sided dice out of our cargo short pockets because we are talking about RNG in 40K and gaming in general. Dun, so, dun, dun. <laughs> so, um... Let's uh, let's maybe uh, I got oh you know what? Let's identify ourselves. Podcast etiquette, everybody. I am Logan. I hope you're not starting on episode five or four. And I am John. I hope that as well. <laughs> um. So let's go ahead. You are the one who structured our episode, uh, our, our our topic today, uh, and I thought it was very appropriate that you started with Math Hammer for Dads. Um, for anybody who doesn't know maybe you're newer to the hobby or i don't know how much it gets thrown around anymore in eighth i feel like i used to see it a lot more in sixth and seventh edition math hammer is of course doing the math to figure out your uh percentages you know how what actual percentage is uh three plus to wound likely to work against uh, you know, uh, your target. And that used to, I feel like that used to be more of a thing in seventh because you had these tables and these interactions. Right. Um, and now they've just simply said, you know, this wounds this on a three plus all the time. And, uh, you're always a three plus to shoot with your ballistic skill. If you're a space Marine, for instance. Um, so math hammer for dads and by four dads i think we both mean the same thing which is what is our low time investment level of math hammer uh and my answer for eighth edition i think is pretty straightforward which is i think it's just a suck check make sure it doesn't totally suck and <laughs> go to the game store you'll be fine yeah, I think that's a fair fair way to look at it. Um, to go back to something you said just a second ago, I think Math Hammer was more prevalent in 6th and 7th edition because it was easier. So the the point at which you start throwing robust numbers of rerolls into things, and especially when you're starting to look at uh, random number of shots, random number of damage inflicted per shot, the Math Hammer gets really wonky, and it's not something that you can just do on the back of an envelope anymore necessarily. Yeah, eighth I mean, edition. once you have D3 damage weapons or D6 damage weapons, uh, but I, I feel like there's so much D3 out there now that makes it impossible to say how well you're going to take out Bulgren because the variance is so high. Right, right, exactly. 
So before we get too deep into Math Hammer as a topic, I will throw out a caveat. I have a doctorate in engineering, so maybe take my opinion with a grain of salt. (laughs) I like doing off-the-cuff Math Hammer, uh, sort of what you described as the suck check. It's helpful to know, for example, that a Space Marine shooting a crack missile at a Rhino only averages one wound, right? I can do that calculation about five seconds. It's chance of hit times chance of wound times chance of failing the save times the average on the crack missile. Right. Well, I feel like uh, 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 people who don't do casual math hammer checks are people who uh, end up bitching a lot about their favorite unit that's maybe not in the best place. Yeah, I I think that's fair. But also, if... Look, I do math hammer because I feel like it is necessary. There's a big stumbling block to playing this game in that if you assume that Games Workshop has costed everything appropriately and or... Uh, designed a weapon that's supposed to be good at a job that is actually efficient at that job, you're going to be really disappointed, Mm -hmm. right? So that's why the suck check is so important is because you got to catch the things that sort of slipped through the costing and rules design process to make sure they actually do what they say on the tin. And if we had a really tight, well-balanced game system, which in defense of GW is impossible in something with this much variability i mean we've got what like 15 armies now and each one of them has to feel and play uniquely um that's a really tall order so i'm not surprised that a lot of things slip through the cracks but it does mean that this ain't the game for people who who want to just pick it up off the shelf and assume that it does what it says it does yeah i mean the number of units where the uh, uh the table performance does not actually fit the narrative i'm thinking of lictors specialize in dropping in to kill hqs which I believe it still <laughs> says in their narrative. And uh, I mean, my God, I wouldn't even throw a lictor against an Imperial Guard company commander at this point. <laughs> um, they're very far from assassins. Uh, I'm trying well, to... Well, the, the really shocking thing to me was, um, so a back-of-the-envelope calculation will tell you an average, but it doesn't tell you anything about the variance. But I, So I did a little bit more digging and found that the same Space Marine shooting a crack missile at a Rhino, you know, sans any re-rolls or any of that kind of thing, does absolutely nothing 70% of the time. Sure. So it's, it's not enough to just know that the missile launcher averages one wound. It's to say that the vast majority of the time it does no wounds and that even if you get a Devastator squad with the full four missile launchers in there and you point them at a Rhino, they're going to do absolutely nothing in their whole shooting phase around a quarter of the time. And that's a squad that costs over 100 points. I mean, it's like twice at the cost of the Rhino. And in an average turn, it has a substantially non-zero chance of doing absolutely nothing to its intended target. <laughs> there are... Um... There are also people, I think, who take units where, the uh, first of all, you know, you don't do the math to say realize that it does absolutely nothing uh, 70% of the time. But uh, I feel like there's a lot of blue sky list building that happens in the casual sphere. Uh, or even in the semi-competitive, you know, uh, uh, you know, casual with teeth, as I like to say, sphere. Uh, where, you know, it's like, uh, okay, I've got a couple crack missiles in case they bring some armor. Okay, I've got a couple heavy bolters or whatever, you know, auto cannons in case they bring some uh, heavier elite stuff. I've got X number of las guns, say we're talking about guard, in case they bring, uh, uh, you know, horde and I can shoot their horde down with my, my little piddly shots. Um, but they don't necessarily, uh, I see a lot of casual lists that don't, 
take enough of one to two of the areas that you really need to cover in a Warhammer 40k edition. Like you'll see people who are like, oh, of course I brought a screen. And, you know, and then you're playing a Necron player who's got like one unit of six scarabs. And you're like, hey, I don't think that's going <laughs> to cut it, buddy. Uh, <laughs> right. Like I'll, I'll smite that screen off uh, before I shoot, you know, the first round of the shooting phase, probably, if I got an army with a decent number of, uh, of uh, psychers running around. Right. Um, but I think that's what I mean by the suck check is very much the bringing a single crack missile. Um, because I don't like math hammer at the other end. I don't like it when people tell me, uh, you know, that because one weapon option say deals 13% more wounds, you know, I got to take claws on a prince instead of a sword, you know, against against a given target. I think then you are, you get to the point where uh, a lot of more casual players accuse those who want to do, uh, you know, math hammer or suck checks as we call it. Um, of kind of sucking the narrative out of the game. Right. Um, And I think it's important, you know, like most things in 40K uh, or anything, really, it's important to strike that balance between just making sure you're not putting garbage down that's going to make the game unenjoyable versus I think that's how you get into min-max. Right. Um, And I think it's also, by the way, uh, there there are people who build a whole list off of Math Hammer off of min-maxing the percentages of things working, who still build a garbage list because sometimes <laughs> the right thing to take is not the best mathematical choice for that role necessarily. Because you have to look at a unit holistically and what else it does with your army and the way that it interacts or the way that it's going to influence your opponent's target priority. It can't just be, you know, which units have the best flamers. Well, I'll take the ones with, you know, the greatest flamers. Because you're going to end up taking a fucking Bane Wolf. (laughs) Saying that because you're playing Primaris and it's AP3, you know, it's more likely it's going to burn through their armor 83% of the time. Well, you know, it's also a 12-inch range and, you know, your chassis is only likely to hold up for so long. Um, Sure. You know, then you're also the guy who puts a hellhound on the table and you got to explain to somebody he's not a hellhound. Don't take Bane. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I can't recall. Actually, I can recall the last time I saw a variant hellhound on the table is because I made the terrible decision to use devil dogs in 8th edition 40K. And let me tell you, I never did that again. I remember you asking our chat group the question about devil dogs, the, the kind of, hey, guys, there's something here, right? There might be something here with devil dogs. Uh, and I believe the only message I sent into the chat group was to say, fuck no. Uh, <laughs> and then I played them anyway because yeah. well, I'm a stubborn a, asshole. I got about a paragraph of text uh, that might have even included some math hammer uh, <laughs> back in response. And then like, uh, yeah, five hours later, uh, a message that was like, oh, no, devil dogs. Nobody take them. Yeah, don't don't do that. So it's you know, I I think I came up with how to word this question, but or this this talking point, but there's a lot to unpack in how much math hammer is appropriate for dads. So right here on Dad Metagaming, we uh, we we style ourselves as sort of a semi-competitive, casual with teeth, uh, but really don't spend a whole lot of time prepping everything. Just you know, get into the game and have fun because we're dads and we have a lot of other shit to do in our day. So to, to say how much math hammer is appropriate, I think it is the suck check and not much more. So to, to see 
how much more it would take to get that second level of detail. I actually made my own Monte Carlo simulator in Excel today before we recorded this podcast. It took me about an hour and a half. Compare that to the average expected damage on a crack missile against a rhino that took me less than five seconds to do, right? So that's a substantial increase in the amount of time. Right. For those who aren't aware, Monte Carlo simulation is a fancy way of saying you have a computer simulate an event many, many times. Uh, 10,000 counts is a pretty common benchmark. And then show you the distribution of outcomes. So that's going to tell me out of 10,000 crack missiles fired at a rhino, how many of them wind up doing zero damage? How many of them wind up doing one or two or three damage? And so I wouldn't recommend making your own, basically. I did it just to essentially say that it's not worth the time for the dads out there. Um, That's a level of math hammer that I feel like if the game requires you to do, it's it's no longer an approachable game. It's no longer a game that a dad wants to play. No, I, uh, I also feel like some of the longest debates I get into with strangers at the game store somehow seems to revolve around the math. Uh, yeah, I can see that once, once in a while it revolves. If I bring my uh, Mad Max works out, it it revolves around whether or not the movie Fury Road hates men, but uh, but usually, uh, usually it's just, uh, it's, you know, people will, people love to ask you why you've brought a unit. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I get it with uh, Gorkonauts a lot, uh, which, you know, I bring them because they're big robots. I'm, there's not a, another good reason to bring them. They're not good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but people love to tell you, like, you know, the claw only does this, this percentage of the time. And, this, you know, an Imperial Knight is better. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, well, you know, an Orc can't drive an Imperial Knight. guy. We, I don't, I don't care about the math on this claw because... That is sometimes you got to overlook the suck check, right? Forget about even doing the math. I've brought Gorkonauts in a number of games. I know what the suck check on Gorkonauts is. It's not good. <laughs> it's not a good game. Gorkonauts sucks. But it is a game where once in a while, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe you did get into it because uh, you love probability and fictional warfare. But most people, I think, get in because they like a particular line of models and, you know, the kind of grimdark fiction. And also maybe math and probability in in their games, right? Uh, I've lost my own train of thought. (laughs) This is, um, listen, you spent an hour and a half making a, a Monte Carlo simulation uh, which is the uh, way that I know that you are still on the uh, dad meta gaming dad to be train, uh, <laughs> because my wife is on call center duty for their her uh, university's creative writing camp today, which meant I had solo kids all morning, and so uh, all of my capacity for uh, consistent coherent thought has been sucked out through my eyes. While I read a 180-page uh, simple collection of first books with my son. And if I got one word wrong as I turned the page, he would make me turn the page back to reread the whole page. Ah, so you've fallen into the trap of the kid can read the books himself, but he wants daddy to read them to him. <laughs> real, real, real story. Um, if you don't have kids and you ever get tired of people talking about their kids and saying, you'll never believe what Tomothy did, this amazing feat that he accomplished. 
Um, or if parents ever say uh, uh, something that sounds too good to be true, which I would often think when they're like, you know, little Lisa's the best gymnast in six counties. And I'd be like, ma'am, I'm sure your daughter can do a cartwheel. Good day to you. <laughs> um, uh, Bear, my son, could read uh, almost the same week that he finally started talking because he was speech delayed by about uh, seven or eight months. Mm. And um, so, of course, you know, we're freaking out and, you know, uh, 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 taking him to see doctors and stuff and being like, is there a reason he isn't talking, you know? Um, and uh, we, we, we visited one specialist uh, uh, who was like, listen to me, one day floodgates are going to open because he can obviously put numbers in order. And uh, we, we got him these flashcards with words on them, right? And he's like 19 months old. He's not talking yet. And about a year is average for kids to start saying their first words. Right. And we got him all these flashcards that say like a hot air balloon and, you know, speedboat, race car, things like that, and have the picture on them. And he would go and he would fetch these cards. And uh, then one day, a bunch of the cards were flipped open because, like, uh, they, they just gotten all knocked off the couch. And I wasn't even looking at what was available picture-wise. And I said, Bear, can you find the hot air balloon? And uh, he went over to the flipped-over hot air balloon. And uh, I was like, oh, that, that card's flipped over. So then I started looking at all the other cards that were flipped over. And I was like, Bear, where's the speedboat? Where's the apple tree? Where's the red wagon? <laughs> And he starts picking up all of these flashcards uh, where the only thing visible is the word on the back and no pictures. Uh. And so then he, when he started talking, about a week later was the time that he was reading his first book. So he talked like nine months later, but he did somehow teach himself to read when he was like uh, 25 months old. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're like, we're not tiger parents. You know, we provide like the most educational version of anything you give to a kid. But it's not like we're over them trying to uh, force feed them reading their own books. Uh, right. Just somehow language put itself together in his head and then took a long time to come out. But he, yeah, he still likes me to read things to him. Um, and so that's my five minute dad digression. <laughs> But, uh, uh, yeah, so I am, uh, I am wiped out from two kids today um, who just both wanted a lot. He really wanted a Z-bar, which is like a cliff bar for kids, but we didn't have mm -hmm. any. So I had to hear the whole morning somebody sobbing into my shirt and going, where is the sticky black chocolate? Which is <laughs> the only thing he'll call them. I've tried to get him to call them anything else because I hate being out for a stroller ride when he's like, Pop, are we almost home? And I'm like, you know, we're going to be home in like five minutes. And then he's like, you want to eat some ch sticky black chocolate? <laughs> and, you know, if there's some other pair of parents passing us with a stroller, I'm like, that's not, I'm not, I don't feed my kids Hershey Kisses. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all of this is a long-winded way to explain why if I suddenly lose a thought today, uh, forgive me. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's what we're here for at Dad Metagaming. If you're listening to this and you're not in it for, you know, a dad's perspective on things, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> well, and also let me say, uh, if you don't have kids and you do want to understand what this feels like, go to a local store tournament and uh, see how much harder your simple reading of dice is by game three as compared to game one. I'm spending the rest of this day in like game three of a tournament mode. Yeah. So if you, if you're doing a three game tournament, you're on game six by the end, right? 
Oh, or game uh, five, if I can do bas- basic math. I have I have actually said uh, uh, to Emily, to my wife, when I get home after local tournaments since we had kids, uh, how foolish I feel now when there used to be an 11 a.m. tournament and I would turn to her and say, make sure you set the alarm for 1030 so I'm up in time to run down to the store. <laughs> uh, because now if I go to a tournament that starts at 11 a.m., I have had probably a seven-hour day by then because my son wakes yeah. up at about 4.35 most mornings. Oof. He likes to party. Yeah, I can tell that. He's <laughs> up and at him. So that that just makes it even more impressive that uh, you're always the guy I'm scared to sit down across from the table from because... I can't imagine what you'd be like if you were fresh. But anyway, with all of that in mind, I think we can safely wrap up the, you know, how much math hammer is appropriate for dads to say it, anything that makes the outcome more complex than here's an average value. And also know that there's a higher chance of low values than of high ones is going to be hard for the average dad to wrap his head around, which is to say, if you're designing a game that requires a deeper understanding of statistics than what you can do off the cuff in five seconds, then it, it ain't for us. So rerolls are a big offender here in my mind yep. because they make the math wildly unpredictable. And really, so we understand now from, you know, just talking about this for a few minutes that the the way that the system in 40k works is it skews toward nothing happening rather than the maximum possible happening. And I think that's a conscious decision. So rerolls have the opposite effect. So they start to skew it towards the maximum rather than the minimum. And they make uh, units as a result much more efficient. Well, and you know, another thing that really starts to throw off the efficacy of a unit uh, math wise is things that uh, add an auto hit or an auto wound on six. It's not as uh, as chaotic as uh, uh, pure rerolls, but then you have this whole other set of things to factor in, right? Uh, because it's, it's you know six has happened one in six times, but obviously dice are almost never statistical when you want them to be. <laughs> Um, the biggest offender of this is uh, Blood Bowl, which is kind of my Games Workshop PC uh, fixture because nobody can leave the house right now. So I'm playing a ridiculous amount of Blood Bowl again <laughs> online. And it's always infuriating to check your dice after the game because your dice over the course of a game almost always level out. And sure. so it has this little dice counter that's like, oh, you rolled uh, 18 ones and you rolled 19 sixes. But it doesn't account for, uh, you know, nine of your 18 one or eight of your 18 ones came in the form of four double skulls or four, you know, snake eyes. Right. And uh, so, you know, that's kind of an unfixable thing in Blood Bowl, depending on when it happens. Uh, That's like rolling a one into another one in 40K, you know. Um, And so you just want to scream at your computer, like, don't show me the statistics. (laughs) Show me how the dice happen together. Right. Well, and I think it's, um, I think 40K can can have the same problem, right? So we talk about Math Hammer usually in the context of what is one shot with a certain profile going to do against its ideal target. But that ignores that most of the, I mean, anything where the command point reroll can punch way above its weight class. So like what happens when you turn a seven inch charge into a 10 inch charge and you needed a nine, 
right? Yeah. I mean, that that can change the entire outcome of a game depending on what unit is charging what target unit. Um, well, and I think that's what, why the number one thing you start to see as the game has gone on added to combat units is abilities or stratagems to reroll charges. Yeah, and I think those are the things that... Um, we'll get into this later, but I think there are some aspects of 40k, like the, the hit wound save system in my mind is 100% fine from a statistical variability standpoint, Mm -hmm. from a, you know, is this an appropriate amount of RNG, which I guess we, we should probably say, if you've been listening to this the whole time, like what the hell is RNG? (laughs) That's random number generator. So it's just, you know, what, what is your one die going to give you? Is it going to give you a one or is it going to give you a six or somewhere in between? That's it. I also see RNG uh, used on like Twitch streams or something. Like I watch a lot of uh, like Mario Maker 2 speedrunners and stuff like that. Um, and I see it used wrong in chat by, I assume, kids who like, you know, they'll die to like a spin jump into a piranha plant or something. And uh, they'll be like, oh, that RNG got him. And I'm like, I think you mean the hitbox got him. Because <laughs> there's nothing I think random you mean... about the way a piranha plant comes out of a pipe or whatever. I think you mean lack of skill. I mean, I, I don't know about Mario. Does the Is is it perfectly periodic? Does the piranha it, plant it come is, out randomly? Yeah. Uh, with the latest update, or one of the update before the most recent, they gave you these different colored pipes you know, into Super Mario Maker 2. And uh, piranha plant always comes out at the same speed. Of a, uh, of a certain color of pipe but i think rng has just become a kind of a gamer lingo at least in the video game sphere <laughs> for, for some people have just gone like got him <laughs> um but so uh let's go on to uh the level of rng that is appropriate you actually might want to read out our our subject heads here because uh I did my shorthand, which um, usually consists of a word and half a word. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk about, you know, from from different perspectives, how much RNG do we want to deal with? So in this case, it is how much dice rolling should we tolerate in our game system from a perspective of making unlikely events happen? Right. So on one end of a spectrum, you have there are no dice. You know, if if you shoot a bolt gun at an Imperial Guardsman, it kills one Imperial Guardsman full stop. So that that would be this perfectly. Yeah. So this perfectly deterministic, it's almost like chess, but without a board and with much more complicated rules. And on the other uh, end of the spectrum, you can randomize everything. Right. So a lot of the things that we have in the game have fixed statistics. So you have a fixed movement value, for example. But what happens if instead of a space marine running or a space marine moving six inches in the movement phase, you would have to do you know d six inches or d three plus three inches or something? So that's what we're talking about when we're saying from a gameplay perspective, what it, how random is too random? So I've heard it said in the past by some um, is actually Frontline Gaming said one of the guys there said that. Uh, he ballparks the chance of victory as one third uh, in the list building phase, one third in the piloting skill of that list, and one third just down to dice rolls. I think that's probably about fair because I've you know I've played uh, more in seventh again than eighth, but I've played my fair share of kind of uh, uh, local events, and um, 
I would definitely uh, eke out my first two wins because I tend to build lists that are grinders. You know, I right. rarely build a list that's going for a big knockout punch, which is what you want to do if you want to win things like ITC points. You know, you want to win oh, overwhelmingly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, I would kind of grind my way into the middle of the top, typically, because I wouldn't have these overwhelming game point wins, but I would be winning. Right. And right around there, I would you would start to run into great net lists, uh, shitty pilots. Uh, you know, in seventh <laughs> we edition, had a few of those. That's <laughs> that's how I ran into uh, demon summoning, which was so busted in seventh. Um, you know, easily for a lot of seventh edition, one of the power lists, and sure. I ran into it with my uh, humble, fun uh, stampede of carnifexes. <laughs> and uh, boy, I mean, I almost lost the game anyway. But uh, uh, you know, if there was a moment in a demon summoning list that you were supposed to zig, this guy zagged. And uh, just the summoning choices were wild. Um, target priority with the list was wild. The things that he chose to like kind of protect were wild. Um, and so I was able to beat a list that I had absolutely no business beating because this is a this was a <laughs> list I think he had copied like you know a majors winning list or a majors top three finished list. Sure. Um, and I just looked at my shelf the morning or the maybe the evening before the tournament and thought like I fucking I own like nine carnifexes <laughs> probably bring a bomb uh and i did <laughs> but um you know i think one of the issues with the amount of rng uh in 40k is the parity from army to army which by which i mean I would argue that uh, outside of their D6 shot or D6 damage weapons, Space Marines don't have a great deal of RNG that's not in the core rules, right? Like their charge distances are random because all of our charge distances are random. Well, yeah, but there's a, there are ways around that too. Oh, for sure, for sure. But I mean, if you're not <laughs> playing a stratagem, if you're just, right, their charge distance is a 2D6 like the rest of us for the most part. Sure. But... You know, they're, uh, most of their guns, you know, for instance, let's say a heavy onslaught got Gatling cannon out of the 10 comes with its set number of shots. Correct. You know, ditto a heavy bolter, ditto an auto cannon. And now I play orcs. And, uh, you know, I, I was just harping on the Gorgonaut for being uh, kind of garbage to this day. But uh, my goodness, in the index days, when it's um, big uh, Deathstorm mega shooter was 3d6 shots instead of 18 uh and it was costed i think the unit cost more in the index than it costs in the codex <laughs> um, right. it, so you start to get these armies like say orcs or uh in seventh edition demons were a big one with all the warp storm tables and stuff like that yep that have this big variance baked in um, I think the one of the ways that you start to see which armies tend to be dominant, I think, is the armies that end up with the lowest amount of variance, or are the lowest amount of uh, sorry of uh, RNG. Um, well, I I would say so. Anytime you add RNG, you're going to add variance, right? So I think those are they don't mean exactly the same thing, but from the perspective no. of what you're talking about, they're certainly interchangeable. Yes, and so. so Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I I definitely agree that 
the armies that are going to perform best are typically the ones where your competitive choices don't rely rely on the fewest roles possible. Does that make sense? Yes. So it, it's not necessarily that you have fewer random shots guns, but that your good units don't have random shots guns. Right. And well, and look at how few random shotguns space Marines truly have, or if it is random shots, the damage tends not to be too random. Sure. Like you look at the big competitive choice for them. One of them right now, uh, let's say for uh, high competitive, but not, you know, the, the bullshit of <laughs> chaplain dreadnoughts is a uh, repulsor executioner. Right. And it has a random number of shots, and it technically has a random damage, but it does a minimum of three. And I cannot think of a D6 weapon that I would not trade in for a three damage weapon in this edition. Yeah, and that's so, so, but mi- hold up. Minimum uh, is the best of both worlds. It's it's big laser destroyer option. It doesn't have random shots, right? I thought only the, pla- the, the plasma version did. Oh, maybe so. You know, I've only played against it like twice, and I also <laughs> almost at this point don't bother to watch battle reports with Space Marines. Yeah, I did an experiment fair. for like three months after the Codex came out, after I suffered through like four or five of them. And uh, no matter who they're from, I've done Striking Scorpion, Tabletop Tactics, Deployment Zone, um, SN. Uh, I look at the lists, and I watch them describe their lists, and uh, then I jump to the end, and then I go like, well, okay, 70% of the Space Marine Army is still on the table. Oh, it scores like 21 to 2. All right. Well, that's Mm -hmm. the horrible thing about the new Space Marines, is not only are they good at scoring, and they're highly mobile, and they've got a lot of defense to to match with their good offensive output, Uh, they just don't die. So it's not like when orcs swarm the table and control all the objectives, but I'm taking handfuls of them off or Tyranids or guardsmen. Uh, you're not only are you getting out scored, you're also watching like your sad flaccid weapons just like smack against the. <laughs> of armor. As like, a person who's been playing. Choppers. Yeah. As a person who's been playing a lot of chaos space Marine lists lately, uh, including against space Marines. Yeah, if I'm gonna get some real work done, I gotta get up in your face and probably punch you with it. The guns, uh, guns like to bounce off of other Space Marines. Yeah, the uh, the cover mechanic of Eighth Edition, where uh, I have weirdly been tempted with orcs against Space Marines to seed first turn because I play you know hyper aggressive vehicle based def rollers and big shooters and war bikers or uh, knob bikers. You pay those two command points and your power armor goes from a two plus or a three plus to a two plus save. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it is a wasted turn if I can't get into combat with you. Yeah, we have very little AP and the the best weapons we do have really our AP tends to be about two. Yeah. Well, to go to go back to the original uh, quote about you know, one third, one third, one third. I'm not sure that I agree, at least at a semi-competitive level. Um, so certainly when you, you sit down on a big event, you're, you're going to find those people that are netlisting and don't know how the hell to play it. And so there is a, there is a subset of games that I've played where I was losing at the list building stage and maybe we were even on dice, but I was able to pilot my way out of it. But I would say that in eighth edition, I don't think a third of my games have come down to piloting skill. I think 
a lot of them are, you know, I mean, we're talking about how OP the Space Marines book is that that speaks to the, you know, list building stage where it's like, can I build a list with orcs that can beat Space Marines? And so even if you're, I, I, I think that the bring in an orc codex list against the Space Marines list right now, you're going to have to wildly exceed the other person's piloting capabilities to make it not just come down to list, right? Yeah, Unless you get I'm, a wild stroke of luck, which is the other, the part. So Space Marines right now, uh, you know, I've said this uh, uh, to our friend Raf, who is maybe the biggest Space Marine player in our group. Uh, they have what uh, I call Yanari Syndrome, and that's uh, not the current Yanari. Uh, they seem fine. But the end of seven, <laughs> where uh, I went to a couple events where there were Yanari present. I don't even know if they were the most optimized form of Yanari. But uh, it was a real, like, good day, don't bother, pick up your models type of army. <laughs> uh, and that's what Space Marines feel like. Maybe that's why I feel like piloting is still valid as a third, and that's because I haven't played Space Marines more than <laughs> one time since the new Codex dropped. Um, because if you're playing casually... One of the, so here's where the Space Marine book, to, to have a little digression, really falls down for me is it's hard to build a casual list with teeth with this codex because it's so good. It's hard to build an approachable list. Yeah, I think that's fair. But also, if I can uh, throw in my own aside, I actually had this as a Logan anecdote for when we were making our episode zero of what this is about. And uh, for time reasons, I decided not to share it. So I'll share it now. And it, it basically says that Logan thinks that anybody who says that they can't make a casual list with teeth <laughs> with a codex is being disingenuous to one extent or another. And I have fought him on this many, many times throughout additions and changes and, and everything else. I was listening to one of the few podcasts other than ourselves that I listened to, and they had an entire episode on how it is hard to build a friendly list against somebody because it's so easy to either overshoot or undershoot the other guy in a system like 40K that has, you know, real winners and real losers when it comes to the list building stage. Well, you know, I think um, it's almost a separate episode topic, but I'll, I'll touch on it a little bit here. Um, one of the things that I think people do wrong to build casual with teeth uh, is supporting their list or supporting, let me say, sorry, supporting their shitty choice. <laughs> um, I have been debated uh, a little bit here and there by other Death Guard players when they see me go in my like all-in Poxwalker meat horde list. Um, you know, when they're like, you know, if you dropped a couple of these supporting characters, you could bring, you know, more Blightlord Terminators, uh, to which, first of all, I say I'm already bringing seven. It's the blessed number. <laughs> but um, if I'm going to bring a suboptimal unit like Poxwalkers, for instance, my list is going to be built to a degree to support Poxwalkers, right? And one of the things that I see people doing is, uh, for instance, if they want to tone down a pretty good list for a friend, they will throw, uh, they'll keep 80% of their list. And then they'll throw like just real two dog shit units in there. <laughs> just things you would never, you know, it's like a guy is like, you know, I'm bringing all my Primaris goodies and I'm bringing my Repulsor Executioner 
but you know, let's say I've dropped my harassing unit in the form of some inceptors, and instead I'm going to bring four land speeder storms. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then they're like, here, now this is casual with teeth. And uh, that's wrong in the too good direction. And then I'm like, hey, homie, the problem was your fucking centurions, aggressors, and repulsor executioners. My problem was never with your big unit of inceptors that you have. (laughs) Or people go too soft in the other direction where they go, well, I'm bringing a casual list for a good friend and we're going to have nice boy time at the table together. And then they're like, so I'll just bring whatever I like. And so they're like, I love Necron Lords. I'll bring three Necron Lords. And then I like Necron Warriors, so I'll bring 150 Necron Warriors. (laughs) And I'll have no real anti-tank, and I'll have nothing to get myself out of melee. And I don't like the Veil of Darkness because everybody brings it, and I'm a unique angel. (laughs) My mother always told me so. So I shall bring the Orb of Eternity. And, uh, you know, I'm going to bring Anne Rakir the Traveler because you never see him these days. And it's just (laughs) this, like, incredibly, like, special boy list where, like, every option is under-optimized. None of it really works together, but they're just, like, 40K is a game of fantasy and imagination, and I love the flying and the magic. (laughs) And then you watch them shit the bed on, like, turn two against their... (laughs) Like, I could bring my Poxwalker list against that. Do you know what I mean? And be like, right, hey, right. sorry, I took all your Necrons and shoved them down your throat with an old, crusty plunger. I feel <laughs> real bad about that, Dale or whoever. Uh, you know what I mean? And then you get these are the people most often at little local events or just playing at a table next to you with one of their buddies that I will overhear being like, this game's busted. This game's bullshit. There's no way to make things good in this game. And you're just looking at their army like, buddy you're not even trying (laughs) it's like if you wear a pair of bright red slacks out of the house you're a man about town and a pair of bright red slacks if you go out of the house in bright red slacks and a wide yellow and blue striped tie and then you've got a top hat on and you've got a jacket with tails and that's a purple polka dot with yellow uh i don't know uh uh, (laughs) utilities all over it now you're a clown Right. (laughs) Um, And so these lists can really kind of go more toward a clown list, I think. You know, when people just go, I'm going to bring everything that I like and I don't really care what's good. And then they always care come like turn two. Sure. (laughs) Their army is annihilated or their army is bounced off the, the opponent. Well, and that's one of the reasons that when we did our, you know, favorite units in 40K, I wanted to throw the the rules in there from a competitive sense. Like, you don't have, this doesn't have to be the best unit in 40K and that it murders everything all the time and it's unkillable, but I really don't have a good time in 40K if I'm losing all the time. You know what I'm saying? So if, if your list falls For apart sure. on turn two, then a- absent some sort of wild outlier, I, I think... I would like the rules to be designed from a perspective of if you're not taking something that is on its face, wacky as hell, if you're not rolling out of uh, the house with a clown list, then it should at least be able to do something on the tabletop. So maybe we should save that for another episode because I do think that um, I appreciate you living in your own skull and thinking that this is something that is easy, but I can assure you it is actually a superpower that you have it is not something that is a common skill set in the wider 40k population. <laughs> Listen, I get accused of this for different things in different games. You know, my wife and I play RPGs together 
And uh, her least favorite thing is creating a new character. And I constantly tell her, like, just take one large element of a backstory and then build that into an entire personality and nuances will follow. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, you know, then I talk to her about it and, like, in ten minutes I've created, like, a, you know, a barbarian with a drinking problem and, like, you know, a dead family that he, you know, barely remembers because it was a (laughs) lifetime ago or something. She's like, well, yeah, that sounds great. Can I play this barbarian? And I'm like, no, now you make a person. And she's like, I, I don't know. I make a rogue and she's tall. <laughs> um, but no, I think there's definitely future episode potential. Um, maybe where we can actually go in depth on a couple of lists that are what I'm talking about. Of, yeah. You know, uh, 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 taking a suboptimal choice and supporting it is the best way to make a, a, a casual list with teeth. Because, um, you know, you're literally taking something suboptimal and then working your hardest to make it good. Right. Rather than um, trying to either dumb down or dumb down a good list or, uh, uh, you know, just take hot flaming garbage to the table. <laughs> I, I, this, the first category of person, I see how their brain is working. The second category of person, I assume they play 40K like twice a year and it's not a knock on them, but like. You can't complain about the game if you're bringing whatever you want. Right. Or or if you are so new to the game that you're only playing it a couple of times a year. So I guess from to tie it back to randomness, um, I would like to play in a system, whether it's 40K or any other game that I'm playing, I would like to play in a system that, you know, doesn't hold my hand, but necessarily doesn't also have these wide gaping chasms that you can accidentally fall into from a a list design or a rules perspective where you don't necessarily, especially as a new player, know that you're doing something that's wildly um, inefficient. And so from a randomness perspective, what do other games do to avoid this sort of conundrum? So um, Drop Zone Commander, for example, its, its rolling mechanism is essentially the same as 40K in that there's a hit roll and a wound roll, but usually the target doesn't get a save. The way that they offset that, there are two ways they offset it. One is if you're tied on the strength equivalent versus the toughness equivalent in that game. So in 40K, if it's the same strength and toughness, you win on a four, right? Mm -hmm. Well, drop zones defaults to wounding on a five. So automatically you've made wounding less uh, frequent. It's like if everything had a five up and vulnerable save, right? But but if uh, it were inherently more variable because instead of having three rolls to determine whether the thing gets damaged, it's just two rolls. Right. And the other thing that they do, which I think is brilliant, and I wish 40K would go in this direction, is drop zone features alternating unit activation. So instead of I go with my whole army and then you go with you, your whole army, I go with one small collection of models and then you have an opportunity to respond, right? Right. I, I think... Uh, uh, I'll... Alternate activation uh, could go a long way, especially in the shooting phase. Yes, to mitigating some of these things. Because, like, I'm a I'm a fan of uh, I don't play it, but I watch the battle reports for uh, bolt action, and uh, I really like the way that some of the math in that game actually works out too. In addition to the alt- alternating activation, um, it is harder to hit on the balance and harder to wound. But it's also a game that is played at kind of, you know, a uh, platoon size. Right. If you skirmish will. scale. Yeah. Or like skirmish um, plus rather than. 
yeah, it's, yeah, which skirmish is skirmish plus huge. is a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the alternate alternating activation, of course, that's uh, speaking of RNG. <laughs> has a certain thing where sometimes you'll watch every American unit by chance hose down the German army in turn two after the, you know, the last turn being kind of an I go, you go just about. Right. Sometimes you just pull every American die out of the bag first. Oh, so that's the one where it's not necessarily player alternation. You you pick something out of a random. So so you might get back to back activations. Yeah. and it, Well, and it's a good system, I think, because it kind of... Um, it encourages you to, uh, you know, you can go elite and say have veterans, paratro- you know, veteran paratroopers with just the right loadout, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, um, in that game, it's actually a very interesting thing where uh, the more veteran or experienced your soldiers are, the harder they are to wound. Oh. Because it kind of represents, like, let's say a bunch of, like, veteran paratroopers know more about how to make the most out of the cover that they're near uh, or just how to spread out and position themselves right to uh, 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 avoid, you know, being a sitting duck more than say a bunch of like green uh, recruits fresh from uh, boot camp. Well, and also if you get grazed by a bullet and it's not your first time being shot, you're much more likely to keep your cool than just run away screaming. Right. And so that's a mechanic in the game that I really like because, you know, uh, you could argue a little bit, but really in World War II, there's not like a variance in armor that people have. Right. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting system, but uh, there are some armies that really uh, go wide, like Soviets are very good at going wide. And what that means is they might have like 13 activation die. You might have seven, say, if you're Germans. Right. And so Soviets could go two, three, four times before Germans go. Right. But then again, you can have that turn where all seven German units, (laughs) not likely, but, uh, you know, if if playing uh, dice games over, you know, a decade has taught me anything, or two decades now, has taught me anything, it is that, uh, uh, you know, unlikely never means not going to happen. Right. Well, I I have a couple of things to say that. One is, after playing around with my Monte Carlo simulator a little bit, you know, there's a chance that uh, even with even before they got double shooting, if moving less than half, Lehman Rust Battle Cannon has the potential to do 18 damage just on its mm-hmm. face, right? You will hit the heat death of the universe before you get 18 damage out of a 1 die 6 uh, Battle Cannon. <laughs> because I, I ran like 50,000 simulations, and you don't even get to like 15 damage ever. So right. anyway, just... <laughs> unlikely uh, almost never means never, but some things are so unlikely that you ain't never gonna see them. Uh, but the other, yeah, I mean, you, to... you you get a, you get the math uh, going through. It. Well, and this is again, that's the number of random things that have to happen, right? It's getting right. six shots, it's right. hitting all six times, it's wounding all six times, failing all the saves, and then maximum D three on all six dice. That is enough that I would feel confident going like like if somebody was like, I bought this tank because it does eighteen damage, I'd be like, oh. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. But I, I think from uh, one of the things that I think is show that we're being shown from 40K, especially as 8th edition has evolved from early to later, where some of the randomness is falling out of it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Gorkonaut's a good example of having its random shots go to fixed shots is that a lot of the design team, I feel like, is dads like us, right? And so when you look at a profile, 
and you're like, ah, D3 or D6 shots and D3 damage, this thing could pick up a land raider in one go, you know? But it it takes some digging to realize just how unlikely that 18 damage is. I mean, you can look at it, but once something gets below about 2% likelihood, the human brain essentially loses its ability to to distinguish between, you know, 2% and 0.2% and 0.50s 2%, right? Right, right. So I think there is a certain amount of but what if that goes into costing and designing these things. But the other thing I wanted to say about alternating unit activation is I've seen the games where you pull a token out of a bag, like in bolt action and whoever, you know, picks their token gets to activate drop zones by comparison is absolute player alternation. So I pick a unit to go. And then once it's done, you pick a unit to go. And the corollary of that is if I have more units to activate than you do at the end of the turn, I get to go with all of them in order and you don't get to react at all. Yeah, that's brutal. So that's the sort of flip side of the token one is that in a token game, you probably want to have more units because it increases the likelihood that if you need to activate a key unit right now, you're going to pull your token. But in drop zone, it's like they they definitely build for back of turn. Whereas in 40K, you build for front of turn, right? There are a lot of, you don't have to, but there are a lot of alpha strike armies out there that revolve around, I'm going to blow the other guy off the table before he gets a chance to, you know, move a model in anger, if you will. Well, and you look at, um, as they've added things to take randomness out or to add rerolls, um to units how much eighth edition i feel like started if we're talking more competitively started as a very spam centric edition right you had conscript spam from guard you had uh, storm raven spam from space marines then hive tyrant spam is the spam that actually got us the rule of three uh tau commander was commander or tau sorry (laughs) tau was tau commander spam (laughs) Now it says that on the codex. It's fine. Tau Commander Codex. Tau Commander Codex. Tau Commander Eighth Edition. Uh, but it was very spammy. And yeah. now, if you look at a lot of the stuff that's really doing well, again, I'm not gonna. I'm not talking about some of the uh, stranger interactions, like the the Chaplain Dreadnoughts and being able to shunt wounds off of your Leviathan onto nearby characters for Iron Hands and stuff. Um, but if you look at uh, things like possessed bombs or uh, things like max units of centurions or max units of aggressors. Um, You know, a lot of armies in the game, or at least a a fair number of armies in the game now want to go all in on a death star again. Yeah. And it's different than seventh edition, right? Because it's not about like making it invisible and making this like literally unkillable piece of shit that just rolls around the (laughs) field removing everything and scoring every point um in this i mean if you look at like the things that you add to possessed all you're ever doing to your death stars is adding consistency and you just find the unit in your book that takes consistency the best and you pile up as much consistency and protection as you can onto it and it makes it a great goddamn unit right yeah, certainly the Death Stars of late edition, late eighth edition, are not the Death Stars of late seventh edition because you know back in the, it's like you said, invisibility went from it doesn't matter what you hit on normally you hit them on six and you can't use any sort of auto hitting weapon on me either and oh yeah by the way I might have a grimoire on this unit for plus two to its save so the the magnitude of the effects have certainly been toned down 
but the layering of those effects is right back to where it was at the end of 7th edition, I think. And the, the difference is that if you had one killer Death Star in 7th edition, it probably took all of your points, right? You had some supplement yeah, built Star around it. the Death Star armies I saw in 7th were the entire army. Yeah, and so now a possessed bomb army is going to have a lot of its resources dedicated to that possessed bomb, but it's also going to have other elements of the army that do other things. So there's always the chance that um, unless you have some esoteric delivery mechanism, you know, there's, there's a chance that before your possessed bomb rips up the entire opposing army, uh, all of them are going to be killed. So you have to plan for that contingency if you want to do well in a competitive sense. Yeah, it's definitely more interactive um than than the seventh edition death stars it's just very interesting to me that as more and more stratagems and things have come out because i think stratagems are a big uh offender when it comes to maybe making a unit so consistent that rng starts to go out of the game for that unit sure you know i'm looking at a reroll all hits reroll all wounds plus one to hit so now you're reroll you're hitting on twos rerolling all your ones um, but you're also re-rolling everything. So even if a unit says in a lay talk flyer, you know, you still get to re-roll everything. Yeah. Um, I think that starts to take RNG out and that kind of goes back to what I was saying about parody between factions earlier, which is without parody, if orcs can't do that, if guard can't do that, if Tau can't do that, it's, that's where you get these factions that are very, very imbalanced because they have removed the randomness for the most part. Right. Yeah, and I mean, stratagems are a key offender because they're like a psychic buff that can't fail, right? The the mechanism to balance them is that you can only do them a certain number of times until you run out of command points. But as 8th edition has shown us, you can bring a command point battery and, you know, do it at least enough times to where it no longer matters. Because that's one of the key things about RNG is that if it's much better to have hot dice on turn one than it is to have hot dice on turn six, right? Yeah. Because if you have hot dice on turn one and you leverage your entire army against your opponent's entire army, they're going to have much less of an army to do something back to you on turns two and three. Whereas if you go into turn six, how much of your army is left and how much of your opponent's is probably about 10 to 30%, right? Yeah, in eighth, I feel like eighth is uh, uh, strangely more brutal than seventh in terms of uh, there are not that many games that I've played. The best ones I've played are not this way, but most of what I've played uh, feel pretty determined by turn three. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I so this uh, there's a concept from certain video games that I feel like is never talked about in the context of 40k, and that's time to kill. So when you're talking about um, Something like, a, I mean, I'm, this, this is going to sound really naive because I don't play any of these games anymore, but a lot of shooting games now, if you get hit with a bullet, you are likely dead, right? But, mm-hmm. Because it's supposed to be realistic. So in a game like that, time to kill is very low. You have to have very good reaction times and you have to understand the map and where people are likely to be and you have to be very aware of what's going on around you because the time to kill is so short. Right. In 40K, you know, we started out in a lot of people considered early 8th to be a brutal edition. And I don't I don't think that necessarily they were wrong in that. But it it felt that way because lots of the key buffs in 7th 
extended a unit's time to kill to unreasonable amounts, right? So it's like if you get a fully buffed Death Star, it's time to kill is something like 100 turns. Yeah. So in the context of a game, you're never going to kill it. Um, whereas in 8th, I feel like uh, now that we have matured to the end of 8th edition, a lot of the stuff is not a defensive buff. It's an offensive buff. So we're going exactly... Mm-hmm. It's like we started in a more unforgiving environment, and we've made it even less forgiving because now all of the, we have decreased time to kill to where if you get a key turn at a good point in the game, you can pretty much kiss your opponent goodbye. Well, I mean, the rate of fire that exists now, uh, you know, it's specifically, you know, Marines, but guard tanks too. Um, you know, just, uh, hordes really had a time where they were kind of ruling eighth, but, uh, especially with kind of casual with teeth, uh, man, you take your horde into the mouth of a high rate of fire army. <laughs> and I, cause I played horde all through seventh. You never saw your shit get taken off the table. Like you do in eighth edition. Right. Right. Um, a, a big offender, I think, actually, to roll into our next point is rerolls. Yes. And uh, uh, do you want to go ahead and let the throw out the actual kind of title you gave to this topic? Because once again, I've got one point five words. <laughs> so, to contrast with how much RNG is appropriate from a randomness perspective, I also wanted to talk about how much RNG is acceptable from a time spent rolling perspective. So again, to contrast, we just talked about uh, drop fleet, drop zone commander and um, bolt action in games that have fewer sort of successive roles to accomplish the same thing, which is how many models do I pick up off the table from a certain attack sequence? Well, so 40K has three of them. But in reality, a lot of times it's more than that, right? So you can have re- roll to hit, but then re-rolls to hit, either of ones or of all of them or somewhere in between. So that's, you know, gone from three rolls to four. Mm-hmm. If you have re-rolls to wound, it's the same deal. So you've gone from three now to five. And if something has a feel no pain or a save re-roll, you can go to even six or seven from your original three sequences of rolls. And, you you know, add on to that random shots, random damage, and you can talk about an attack sequence that has nine sequences of rolls, whereas the the core rules contemplate three. (laughs) Well, you can even go higher than nine, right? You can go 10, 11, because if it's random damage and then feel no pain. Right. Then you're now separating out each feel no pain roll as its own roll. Oh man! Each damage roll has to be separate. It's it's brilliant that you mentioned that because I didn't even contemplate um, as of the time of you know prepping for this podcast that there is the 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 necessity in some cases of going away from batch uh, rolls. Mm-hmm. You know, in seventh edition, I, I think unless you were focusing fire or one of those very esoteric you know rules interactions, you were batch rolling everything for the most part. Like yep. if you didn't have an uh, independent character out front of a unit like tanking hits like a corbulo lysander star or something like that then you're batch rolling everything for the most part and in eighth edition it is a core mechanic that in certain circumstances you simply cannot do that (laughs) well i think against certain armies uh you would save 20 minutes half an hour in some cases depending on how many turns you go uh, on a game, if D3 weapons became two damage and D6 weapons became either three or four damage, depending on the weapon. Yeah. Because uh, as somebody who plays a very FNP intensive army, 
uh, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if you're shooting your D three guns at my pox walkers or my plague Marines, we're going to be all here all day, brother. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, and it makes it not that enjoyable to play. One of the reasons I haven't put my death guard on the table, you know, they've been largely a painting army for me. I've only had a handful of games with them is, uh, that is not a fun mechanic to play against on mass. No, it's not a fun mechanic to play against, but the, the real kicker of it is, is that, um, mathematically speaking, uh, from in a lot of situations, a four up invulnerable save is the same as a five up invulnerable five, followed by a five up feel no pain. But the way that those mechanics actually hit the road in terms of, you know, again, on the topic of RNG reducing variance is that you'd much rather have a five up feel no pain and a five up invul most times than a four up yes. invul and no feel no pain. That's, I got into this a lot. Uh, my first army was Necrons, and it was, uh, if anybody listening has played 7th, uh, Dekirian. We were the start of Dekirians. Dekirian rules were called Dekirians because that is what our super formation was you called. You bastard. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, listen, I'm sorry I wrote the Codex, but they paid me a lot of money, Ew. and uh, here we are. Now I live in my big gaming mansion. Uh, but... Um, <laughs> No, you know, people are talking about, like, Storm Shields because, for instance, on my Lich Guard, which were not an optimal unit, but were a hell of a lot better than they are in 8, the Hyper Phase went from a 3-plus to a 4-plus, my big Dispersion Shield. Right. With that new Codex. And people were saying, oh, man, it's too bad you lost a 3-plus because that unit used to be really good. And I was like, you know I have a 4-plus into a 4-plus now. <laughs> And there's no such thing as a multi-damage weapon. So if you shoot one of my guys with six Meltas, I save three of them, and then I save one and a half more, you've likely killed one Lich Guard. Right. <laughs> if, you, if, if literally you're statistically lucky, you've killed two Lich Guard with six Melta guns, or excuse me, with six Meltas that have hit and wounded. But we, so probably with nine or ten melta shots. So you have wasted ten melta shots and two minutes of a very tight game to kill one lich guard. <laughs> exactly, and well, so uh, Necrons were the first army I ever played, and uh, as I don't play them anymore, you might be able to guess they're the first army I ever sold. And um, I did not sell my Necrons because I was tired of like their lore or their aesthetic or anything else. Um, but we are a single income household. And so I don't have, do you know what I mean? Like oodles of money sure. to throw at 40 K. Right. Um, if you hear me say I used to play an army and now I play this army, it's not because, uh, I gave the army away to a friend. It's because that army created the next army. <laughs> uh, and so Necrons became so crushingly unfun to play. Uh, both for me and to play against, you know, because again, it's not as if Necrons ruled the competitive scene in seventh uh, edition. But again, if you're talking casual with teeth, just fuck that army all day long. Yeah. Nobody wanted to play against it. You would roll up with it to a table. You would see people roll their eyes. And uh, that's not how I like to play any game, let alone something where I have to maybe play a stranger for three hours. <laughs> Also, I went to a tournament uh, in 7th edition a lot that had sportsmanship scores. And a lot of it was your personality. But if you rolled up with the Kyrian Necrons, uh, you're not winning any sportsmanship awards. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I'm a, as an inveterate space elves player uh, and a person who plays unpainted armies in regional tournaments because I like changing my mind a lot. I could definitely appreciate that. So yeah, at the end of seventh edition, I would roll up with craft worlds uh, 90% unpainted or, you know, they're like primed, but in different colors. And so somebody, yeah, rolling eyes at me was very, very common. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, eventually you guys will get your edition where craft world elder aren't too good. Uh, well, you know, that's why I have five other armies ready to go. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I feel like, uh, I feel like... Oh, sorry, craft worlds were my hedge is because for the longest time, the armies that I did play weren't very good. And so I'm like, you know what? I like winning games occasionally. So I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to, you know, I'm gonna, finally going to bite the bullet and buy some craft world Eldar. <laughs> you know, the army I went to after Necrons and their crazy Dakirian was Tyranids, which played all of seventh edition out of a sixth edition codex. Yeah. And uh, the different look that you would get on a on a stranger's face across a little local event table when uh, you smashed them with your Tyranids or you eked out the win with your Tyranids was so different because people usually would have the feeling of like, well, listen, I can't even be mad about it. Yeah. You know, these guys don't deserve to win, and yet somehow it's happened. Look at you, the little engine that could with... Uh, only three flying hive types <laughs> well you know that's the uh that's the perfect outcome for this channel right that's what we want to do here at dad metagaming is the little engine that could slaps your dick off <laughs> well there, there is there is that uh i mean uh you know part of it is part of being a good sportsman and wanting opponents to have a good time is why i take what i take uh i would say that's 70 percent of it 30 percent is the moment when you win with something that was supposed to lose, uh, where, you know, I feel like I can, I feel free to break out the rap air horn app on my phone <laughs> and, uh, blare it at people. Um, even though I've only done that one at one tournament in one <laughs> in real life and those guys had it coming and, uh, you know, there was no sportsmanship award on the list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That was when I played against the guy uh, we colloquially call Trilby Guy. Oh, him, yeah. Who, uh, dr yeah, he has a lot of fancy dress, and uh, he sneers at any unit on the table that's not the unit that he brought. And it was the beginning of the eighth, uh, beginning of the eighth edition, and uh, that he was the guy who brought like seven forms of auto cannon tank. Like he had like three hydras and like four tank commanders <laughs> with the uh, exterminator auto cannons. And he looked at battle cannons and then a, uh, granted it was the old bad version of the demolisher cannon, but like four battle cannons and a demolisher. And uh, he, speaking of RNG, he was like, you know, those have a random number of shots. <laughs> why, yes, I did. Uh, and I was like, yeah, why, why, yes, indeed. Uh, you, you know that your guns are strength seven and all of our tanks are toughness eight. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we started to remove a tank at a time and, uh, Every time we removed a tank, I would play the Rap Airhorn app on my phone. <laughs> and it was a doubles tournament, so his opponent would laugh really hard. And uh, he looked like he was being psychologically scarred. Um, which, again, always be nice to your opponents and make sure that people are having a good time. Unless they're wearing four pieces of fancy dress with a t-shirt, in which case... You can play a rap air horn at them all you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So I guess with, you know it's, it might be apparent to the listeners at this point uh, and to each other, but bottom line is I don't want a game with more variance than what I'll call baseline 40k, either from a, a randomness perspective or, or from the time that it takes to physically roll dice that many times. Is that I want to hit roll, a wound roll, and a save roll, and I want to be done. I want to find out what the response is, and I want to batch roll them, and I want to move on with my life. I um I will go so far as to say that like if if they let me into the design studio with a big uh I don't know one of those big black redaction sharpies <laughs> uh the first thing I would cross out in every book uh every single codex is Grant's rerolls yeah I don't care if it's to hit or to wound or to save um feel no pain i'm kind of okay with and not just because i play death guard but because i think it allows you to have something that's not an armor save which creates a variation of unit that is interesting to me yes um because sure some things are like plague marines or blight lord terminators right it's the same as another unit but it just has feel no pain also on top which makes it very durable but then you have stuff like pox walkers which don't even have an armor value really we're armor value seven yeah um you know and there's a few other things in the game like i think a pain boys aura is interesting for orcs um or can be interesting or uh, i think it's snake bites uh every everything in your army gets a six plus feel no pain i think that's an interesting orc culture um but re-rolls, re-rolls are my least favorite thing about 8th edition. I completely um, forget agree. about uh, the, the lack of terrain. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think early on we could have argued, you know, like, well, you know, everybody took librarians, right? In 7th, nobody took space marine captains because a captain was just a little bit better space marine, right? With some access to some relics or right. something. But look at how fucking good a smash captain is or a demon prince. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to argue that as Demon Prince with Wings, where that its greatest utility is to re-roll one <laughs> for everybody. Uh, you know, and uh, there's sure there's a, you know, the chapter master that you stick them back with your Space Marine shooting castle, and it makes it fucking impossible to miss. But I would argue that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and if you think that it's a bonus to the game, probably we're not friends in real life. <laughs> uh you know what i mean probably we want to play two very different games yes i agree um but uh, i can't tell you the number of times uh even before they got kind of ridiculous that i would play against space marines and i would see uh you know a really bad role come out against my humble orc boys or something and i would think to myself oh we could have been mopped up by those ingressors but they 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 have whiffed and we have made our charge and we are in, you know, only for the Space Marine player to then pick up all of the dice and get another bite at the apple that then, you know, shreds your unit. Yeah. Well, and and I think there's a psychological effect to that, too. Right. So and, and this might have motivated the rule studio to build the game that they did. But you uh, corn berserkers are a great example of this. You know, they get for each man, they get a relatively high number of swings when they finally make it into combat. And I cannot tell you how disappointing it is when I pick up fistfuls of dice for only eight men, because that's the sacred number. And I throw them onto the table knowing that I need threes or on the sergeant with his power fist fours. And I see 
more than half of them are ones and twos. Mm -hmm. So I understand the visceral desire to do something about this situation. Like this simply cannot happen. I have a wound roll and I have to allow them some saves here. So I cannot have already lost more than half of my damage at the hit roll phase. But you know what? If there is nothing to be done about it, it's a lot easier for me to accept. But when I sit here and I look at more than half of my rolls are ones and twos, in 8th edition, in 7th edition, I was like, well, better get on with my life. This sucks and these guys are probably about to die. But there are, you know, let's start thinking about the next thing that I can do to try and bring this game back into my control. In 8th edition, my first thought is, how can I re-roll these ones and twos? And have I provided myself with that ability here? You know, um, my own experience being on the positive side of re-roll, which I would still argue is overall a game negative for other people's experience, was uh, my army for most of 8th was playing uh, Katachan Imperial Guard. Not bandwagony Katachan. This is my dad hipster. (laughs) Again, I had Katachan Infantry. Big, sweet muscle boys. Uh, you know, I brought Iron Hand Straken and Harker in every goddamn list because I wasn't going to be accused of just playing. Oh, all right. So we're back from our first commercial break. Uh, the commercial was brought to you by uh, Leaf Blowers. Fuck the ozone layer. <laughs> Get a leaf blower. Uh, I'm a rake guy. I don't know what to tell people. Um, so I was railing against, or people rather, would rail against me. When I was playing my Catachans. Um, oh, that's right. I was reaffirming before we took our little break here for uh, the man to blow grass clippings against my window. Um, just whatever. I didn't jump on the Catachan bandwagon. Don't fucking at me. Uh, but so I played Catachan. And uh, I actually played it and was excited uh, in the Codex when I saw that my guys would be strength four. Mm-hmm. Because as we've already discussed on a previous episode with Admech... Uh, God damn if I want to try to make an army that's great at shooting. It's deeply mediocre. <laughs> so I was like, uh, four, four strength. Looks like I'm about to have terrible orc boys in the form of a shitload of guardsmen. Um, little did I know that because of orders, they would be better than orc yeah. boys. Uh, <laughs> listen, I would, I would, I would take a, uh, I would take a toughness three orc boy with a double tapping last gun. Yeah. No shit. But, uh, you know, uh, so Bolgren were obviously very, very good, or are very, very good. Um, but I never got that much shit from an opponent about how good my Bolgren were. You know, if anything, uh, especially in the early days of running them, you know, people would be surprised at the efficacy you could, could squeeze out of them. Um, you know, and you had to get your, your psychic buffs off to make things work. And that's its own amount of variance, or uh, RNG in 40k. Right is uh you know needing um listen i don't know fucking higher math or science so if i say variance and it is incorrect (laughs) everyone know that i mean rng but for some reason variance rolls off my tongue well that's the that's the Um, technical term right oh is it really okay well look at me i'm a little i'm a little i'm a little smart guy i'm a little smarty uh (laughs) so the thing that people would get mad about or would get not mad maybe but you know a little uh a little a little bitter was re-rolling my my number of battle cannon shots. Yeah. 
like especially if you were already ahead in a game which you often were in the early turns especially with imperial guard because we are so good at shooting uh it you would just see it just breaking somebody's spirits when they would go aha but you have rolled but four shots and then you would just choose to re-roll both dice and you'd be like aha but i have rolled nine shots Um, it got to the point that I would just wait for a point in a game where an opponent that I didn't play against regularly would say, I think you haven't gotten less than nine shots on one of those. And then I would have to say, ah, yes, here's the anecdote about how I almost never do. Um, and that was like an inevitable part of playing that army. <laughs> but that was the big point of annoyance was the rerolls, yeah. rerolling the number of shots on the battle yeah. lines. Um, I think it's really bad for casual enjoyment of the game um, because it just with the right units, it takes it to such an efficient level. Well, I, I think the bigger part, uh, having been the person bitching about your rerolls, not, not getting you anything <laughs> less than nine shots. I mean, I think that imp- that particular ability does a very good job of almost ensuring you minimum nine shots. And the thing is, I didn't necessarily mind you getting nine shots. I minded having my hopes raised by seeing you roll four on the dice and then having my hopes mm-hmm. summarily dashed by seeing you re-roll up to a nine. This is my point. If a battle cannon was a four-shot weapon and it got to double tap, so I had, let's say, eight shots all the time, I feel like people would go like, ah, battle cannon is too efficient, but such is life. But when they go, ah, he finally did it. He whiffed. <laughs> and then I, and, and then I'm like, oh, no, actually, I, I did, I'm fine. I did great. And you're about to uh, remove your <laughs> So that's... Uh, I feel like that is the emotional high that, or the emotional low that that provokes. It's exactly what you described. Yeah. So that's a really great segue uh, let's move on to our last topic and start wrapping up the show, which is after having talked about all of these things that can vary and whether they vary too much or too little, what should be a guarantee in 40k to make it enjoyable for dads like us? You know, I will, I will very briefly, uh, uh, say, I think we're in mostly, mostly a sweet spot right now. Um, compared, I'm comparing it to editions that go way back when you had stuff like fixed charge ranges. Um, I think that, you know, a fixed rate of movement for units, but a variable charge range or a variable advance range is a good place to be. Um, I, the one change I would make, uh, like I said, is, uh, damage... Maybe I'll keep regular or, you know, variable number of shots. But damage is a thing I would fix. I would make a crack missile maybe three damage. I would make a neutron laser four damage, for instance. I don't hate that. but So I never played an addition with fixed charge ranges. And maybe if I had done so, I would change my tune. But I really think that with a charge range being a D6 inches, and especially with an advance roll being a D6 roll, and with things out there capable of charging after advancing, you're looking at some things in this game that can, and, and you know, especially if you can layer it with shit like warp time, 
you're looking at units in this game that can move a phenomenal distance in one turn. And I question why, I mean, it's, we don't want to talk about realism in a game about, uh, you know, space astronauts with ray guns. Okay. But verisimilitude is like realism. If you can tolerate this, the discrepancy in the setting from the real world. Right. So if we accept right. that we live in the grim darkness of the 41st millennium, where, People with mutant brains can melt me with their, you know, eye lasers and such. There are some things that I think should still be more or less the same. Like if you have a man, he walks on two legs, he moves about this far. And if he is genetically enhanced, he moves a little bit farther. Okay, I don't have a problem with that. But while we're talking, while we're on the subject of Imperial Guard, you give some guys a move, move, move order... After they have advanced already. And by God, if the humble guardsmen cannot cross half the damn map between when I shoot at them and when I shoot at them again. Yep. And that to me is a little bit whack. So one of the things that I would do, I mean, as a guy who abuses warp time, that's probably one of those powers that needs to go the fuck away. But from an RNG perspective, I would really enjoy giving up the variability of charge rolls and advance rolls and things like that. So like back in 7th edition, for example, bikes didn't run. They turbo boosted and they had a fixed distance. If it was an Eldar jet bike, it went 36 inches, which was absurd. And if it was a regular bike, it went 12 inches. So you're, you're talking about a unit that moves 24 inches, even if it's not a, a shitty knifier anti-gravity vehicle. Right. 24 inches is a long fucking way, but it's a space motorcycle and you do that instead of shooting at all. So I kind of think it's probably okay. So I, and, and moreover, I mean, so the, the bigger offender there is charges, right? I mean, we were talking about the hit wound save system being the primary focus of talks, discussions about variability, but the, the real outliers in terms of roles that affect the game are, not that, right, for the most part. There, did I make this charge roll at a deep strike with my hammer unit? Did I get off this critical psychic power that is going to make or break my strategy? And I think those are the sort of places where we need to, we, if we were the game designers, would need to give a long, hard look about reducing the amount of variance in 40K to make it not necessarily unrandom because there is, I mean, we're playing a dice game. So at some, at some point you have to accept that you're not playing chess. Right. And, and that we're not on that one end of the spectrum we were talking about earlier where everything is totally deterministic. But if there is a one role that has a much larger effect on the game than another role, maybe we start looking at taking the variance out of that or reducing the amount of variance that goes into it. I don't, I don't disagree with reducing uh, uh, some of it, but some of the things you mentioned, like charge rolls out of Deep Strike, for instance, being so important. Actually, speaking of warp time, by the way, to digress slightly, I think that's the right change that they made to warp time, that you cannot use it after arriving onto the yeah, floor. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that makes warp time okay. Um, I think it's I think it's kind of almost an invisibility type power, not obviously not nearly as bad, 
but in the sense that uh, it's super busted that only a couple of factions have that. Because, boy, is that a real king of psychic yeah, powers. Yeah, uh-huh. But, you know, I could say the same thing to, in, to a degree about Doom for the Eldar, for right. instance. Um, you know, I don't think you can argue those are easily in the top five of psychic powers for 4 sure. Um, but charging out of deep strike is one of those moments of RNG that I actually kind of like in the game. Uh, the thing I would change is like, I've been saying, uh, just across the, the game is to offer a little bit more parity between factions. Um, I'm actually okay with some people getting like a plus one, but I think that, uh, any army that really wants to be in combat maybe should all have access at least to the plus one. Like, if you choose Goths or Snake Bites and not Evil Sons, you know, to get that plus one to charge, I can't help right. you. <laughs> um, but also, you know, maybe you don't have to. Maybe you want to run Gaskell. Maybe you have a very particular theme in mind. Maybe you're not planning to charge out of Deep Strike. So you don't care about getting an eight-inch charge. But the reason I really like the mechanic of it that exists as opposed to just not being able to charge out of Deep Strike, say, in 7th edition, right. is um, it creates a moment of excitement that I think is one of the highs for me of like playing. <laughs> like the whole turn is building, you know, with my combat focused army to, am I going to get these charges? <laughs> and, 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 and to a degree, the charge phase is almost more important than the fight phase to that yeah. degree. Cause the fight phase has a greater number of attacks, right? So barring an incredible, somewhat unlikely whiff or an incredible, thing where I just totally run you over in a way that I thought I was just going to tie right. you up. Um, the charge phase is kind of like where the juice is. <laughs> the combat army. Um, it's, I would compare it almost similarly to uh, vehicle explosions. I love that they exist. I've recently heard people saying that they didn't like vehicle explosions um, or monstrous creatures losing their minds and, uh, you know, lashing out in their death uh -huh. throes. Um, I like that because it's not likely to happen in the case of most explosions, but it is a moment of excitement. Um, you know, when you finally get rid of a land raider or when you get rid of one of my gross little bloat drones, or, um, there's also been moments where, uh, my bone breaker with orcs has been taken out way too soon, way too easily. But those do D6 mortal wounds when they explode. <laughs> so then it explodes into like the shower of shrapnel. And uh, like I throw my arms above my head at the table and I'm like, oh, the game is saved. It should be over, but the game is saved. <laughs> We've done it. Um, and uh, those are moments that I really look for in 40K. That's what I think of almost as positive RNG um, are moments of like high drama. Um, my problem say is more when my orc boys make that, uh, you know, somewhat unlikely, uh, nine inch charge or eight inch charge. Um, if I get in and then I'm like, well, you know, of course I reroll all of my hit rolls and then I reroll all of my wound rolls and you of course will reroll all of your <laughs> <laughs> and let's give you rerolling feel no pain and let's be here for an hour. Right. And right. It resolves itself. Um, I uh, I don't like high, high variance unless there is that parity, though. It's one of the things that I thought was a benefit of the index days was all of us were nine inches out of the charge. 
Yeah, or out of a charging at a right, strike, right. you know. Um, ironically, unless you had warp time, in which case, uh, congratulations <laughs> to you, Chaos Terminators. Um, but uh, I like it when RNG gives you a moment of high drama. To reference Blood Bowl again, there is a skill you can get called Hail Mary Pass, which is not a <laughs> But it does allow you to pass to any square on the pitch. It does, you know, there is no range on it. The no matter what other passing skills you have, it only works on a six. Uh. Um, so, like I said, not a good skill. <laughs> don't, don't, don't take this. But I have in uh, you know hundreds of games of Blood Bowl over the years played against it a couple times, uh, you know, or maybe a handful of times, and then a couple of those times, God. God damn if they didn't roll Yeah, right. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's and it's you're mad about it because you're like, this shouldn't have this is Blood Bowl. This is a game about probability. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a game about risk management. That's the ultimate skill in Blood Bowl. And you just fucking first of all, you took a skill that's not good, and then you you rolled a six out of the tip, yeah. you son of a bitch. Uh, and this is how you win, this is how you beat me, high elves. Um but uh, but it is a moment of high drama. You know, you you see them on the PC version going to click that pass button, and you're like, "What? There's no character that's free to pass to within twelve squares of you, let alone a reasonable range." And then you're like, "Oh my god, this is why they ran that guy <laughs> in the end zone on the opposite end of the yes, hail mary, the crazy son of a bitch is actually going to yeah. do it." <laughs> um, and it's a cool infuriating uh if you're on the wrong end of it but cool moment. yeah so i don't disagree let me open up by saying that but <laughs> god damn it if i don't remember the last game that it was a bad dark eldar list okay i'm i fully admit that it was a bad dark eldar list but dark eldar being one of those factions that does not have you know real high on-demand access to reducing its amount of variability i brought in like four units from Deep Strike, and I think it was, I forget exactly how I did it, uh, but, or, or it was, I guess it was a combination of honest to God, you know, I ran up towards you on foot and then charged you, and then a couple of units coming out of the webway, but by God, if I didn't fail four re-rollable charges in a game that I was already down in, <laughs> and I was like, okay, if I make any one of these charges, I can start to bring this game back around, but it's like, it's a Maelstrom game, uh, it was before the CA 2019 thing where you could build your deck. And so I'm like saddled with stupid, like kill a psyker cards against Necrons. And I'm like, I've, so I've gotten shitty draws. There's only one path I can see to victory here. You know, he unloaded on me in turn one with his destroyers. And for some reason, even though the expected damage on destroyers against grotesques is like, he's going to kill a guy in a third. For some reason, he picked up my whole fucking unit, you know, <laughs> on turn two, I am finally in a situation where I was like, if I get in, I'm going to kill a bunch of these warriors and the rest of them are going to flee because he didn't take the fearless warlord trait. I'm like, okay, I can finally start to turn this around. And like, I have these cards for control the middle of the board. And of course, all of the Necron, like 80 Necron warriors sitting in the middle of the board, but I can, you know, charge into one and kill it and then pile into the other one. By God, if I didn't have eight shots on goal and I fail all of them. And that shit kills me. It just kills me, Liv. Yeah, it is. Uh, when uh, when dice turn against you that badly, um, I have a bias against Necron. <laughs> uh, it's, maybe it's ironic that it's both a Necron game for us because 
those poor bastards were at the bottom the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, even ca- even casual with teeth. I mean, Necrons have really struggled outside of kind of destroyers. Um, but I played at uh, Warzone Houston in 2019. I played uh, guys Necron list, and he was a good tournament player. He was there with his whole team, and uh, he did the the Doom Scythe triple Doom Scythe uh, stratagem to deal mortal wounds within like a six inch or four inch or something right. radius. And then he did Immotech's power to do mortal wounds. And he got my Bulgrin and all of my supporting characters. And he did maximum mortal wounds with both powers. (laughs) So nine Bulgrin are 27 wounds. And before he even started shooting at me in earnest, I had something like four or four and a half Bulgrin left. Maybe fewer than that. Uh, but that's one of those moments where, like, I walked around away from that table and, like, I really had to have, like, a good conversation with myself to stop me, me from every person I knew at that tournament when I would run into them being the guy who's like, have you seen this? <laughs> Should be illegal. Someone call the HPD. Let's put this. <laughs> in jail. Uh, but, um, you know, and then in my practice game for Adepticon and then in a game against Orcs in Adepticon uh, at the actual tournament. Um, I failed two four-inch charges with Bulgrin. Just Ugh. failed them. Couldn't re-roll. One, I was out of command points. One, I had re-rolled a save. Um, because, of course, I re-rolled a save with Bulgrin because I thought, let me not lose this Bulgrin. Right. For the charge I have to make, it's only four inches. Um, well, that taught me a lesson about spending CP. <laughs> <laughs> or the charge yeah. base, excuse me. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, that kind of RNG is heartbreaking when it happens and i think it is doubly heartbreaking um when you play a dad meta amount of games which is to say you've got kids or you've got a real adult job or you've got uh just whatever other obligation as a a real functional adult that keeps you from being down at the game store every single (laughs) so you know, I don't. Your sample size, I think, is maybe the least of anybody in our friend group for games in eighth edition, eh? Uh, you know, it's going to be real tight between me and Cameron, probably. Or, or you know, well, me so and Cam- Cameron and you. I don't know how you would have more games of eighth edition than I do. Uh, I think I've been to more events. Yeah, that's fair. Because I've been to a few little local tournaments. I went to Warzone, which is five games, or you know, five, uh, yeah, five games. I honestly think that I have a similar number of games played in eighth to Raph, but especially because Raph was running the tournaments and didn't get to play. And I played in every one of those. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, and then I know you and he had like a Friday night kind of forty uh, k going yeah. on for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's true. Actually, I think uh, uh, probably Steven out of our group is the guy who pre pre uh, the plague uh, descending upon the whole earth was. Uh, I feel like he was at a GT like. Oh, dude, he's probably got more eighth edition games than the rest of us combined. Oh, I agree. Yeah, because he also would would go down to his local club and get like practice games in, which sounded like it was often two games. Yeah, in a night, for sure. So. Um, but yeah, when you are playing a dad-ass amount of 
Uh, and I have this comparison because in seventh, I like I grinded out games. I would go and play two pickup games, or Raph and I would schedule and play two games over at his place or at the game store. Um, you know, I was going to tournaments at least once a month, so there's three games right there. Um, you know, I was arranging to play people all the time because uh, when you are like, I think, 29. And you uh, you have no other real responsibilities <laughs> outside of like uh, you know the, the the minimum required to be a functional adult. Um, yeah, you can go out and play all the time. Uh, now, if I play two events in a month, which has happened a couple times since I've had kids, the look on Emily's face when I bring up to her like, "Hey, what do you uh, <laughs> what do you think if I'm out of the house for nine and a half hours?" <laughs> You know how you've been at work all week and we got two kids. Yeah. Uh, but um, but what I'm saying is it, is it is when the dice truly bone you and that is your one game that month. Uh, maybe that's why we have such a vendetta with it's our It's terrible, isn't it? So on a more constructive note, maybe I can throw out a couple of ideas that sort of occurred to me in prepping to this podcast that I thought might be interesting ways to sort of capture that same feeling of, you know, Ooh, what's going to happen here at this high, high risk, high reward moment, but also maybe not make it quite so punishing when it doesn't go your way. Uh, and the first one is on the topic of charges. What if a unit had uh, the equivalent of a shooting attack and it's only for charging? So it's like each model is rolling, and it can be different from unit to unit, right? So it's like each model has an attack that has a range of 12 inches because that's the maximum you can charge or whatever we decide that the maximum range you want to be able to charge is. And each model rolls a certain number of dice, and you need a threshold on the value to make the charge. So that would obviously make it impossible for something like two models that are not a dedicated combat unit to charge any distance whatsoever, right? Because, but that sort of makes sense in my mind. So it's like, okay... This this guardian squad, which was 20 dudes, is now down to two members. And these guys are essentially civilian militia that have been pressed into service. Mm -hmm. Do you honestly think that those two gar guardians want to charge that unit of corn berserkers? No, because I don't think they do. And right now it's just it's the same as everybody else, right? It's like, it's a 2d6 and, you know, the corn berserkers can't overwatch you. So if those guys want to charge in and kill themselves, that's fine. Well, this is this is to a degree why I think um, almost any dedicated close combat unit should have a plus one to charge. Yeah. Well, I so I guess my argument is I would like for there to be a different core mechanic for dedicated combat units charging than non. It's not just like oh, it's the same two d six as everybody. But I understand it starts to create these, you know. Uh, very niche rule situations like seventh edition and sixth edition and uh, probably every early edition as well full of these kind of things right and i agree that eighth edition has done well in moving away from all of those things so the i i honestly wish that the the lie that they perpetuated of oh our core rules are only 16 pages i deeply wish that that were true so yeah eight, eight well whatever it is yeah i think Maybe maybe Age of Sigmar is sixteen pages, but there's something about it that I guess when you throw in the terrain rules, which are you know mandatory essentially for match play, the mm -hmm. deployment maps and stuff like that. But so anyway, 
I deeply wish that were true. And so I guess I'm equivocating a little bit here in that I'm saying I want there to be a different mechanic for charging for different types of units, but by God, I wish it weren't just 2d6. <laughs> you know what? This actually gives me a, a fairly good idea because I own a fair number of codices for older editions, that, editions I didn't even play. Um, I think there might be a value in looking at some true old hammer. I'm not talking about 6th and 7th edition, but like 5th through like 2nd stuff because there were these different mechanics. And I think it would be interesting to see how they actually bore out yeah you know what i'm saying in these games because there are battle reports from back then and things like that that i bet we could hunt down on the web you know if just not the old white dwarf battle reports that's fair do you know see how the fix i think fourth i think fourth had a fixed charge mechanic um like a, a unit could charge a certain yeah. distance and they also had charges from outflank. They might have also had charges from deep strike. Um, like I said, I followed but did not play anything before 6th edition, 7th edition. Um, so what else do you have to reduce RNG? Or is that well, that was one, but so the, here's another one. We were, I, I chose the example of a Space Marine firing a crack missile at a Rhino, and it turns out that you know even though that's the stated job of the crack missile, it's actually pretty garbage at it. What if... You know, we have a lot of these effects where if you roll a six to hit or to wound, something automatically happens in addition to normal damage, right? Well, what if certain weapons like crack missiles did one mortal wound on any hit in addition to the normal effect so that you didn't even need to roll a six to hit, right? It's just like it's Space Marine. If he rolls a three to hit it, uh, does mortal wound. And then you continue rolling to see if you get the big hit from the, you know, the normal crack missile effect now. Right, the actual right. payload. You know, I could almost, I would almost get on board with that as a rule, maybe if they happened on the wound roll, where maybe if you got a, because to me a wound almost represents like a meaningful hit. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, like, forget about whether or not they save, maybe the wound gives you the yeah. mortal wound. I, I realize it then gives you two layers <laughs> to get through with the crack missile. Um, but from the armies that have them, uh, I am very leery of things that give you wounds on hits. Um, because there are some units that are not good, but that do have an automatic wound or a, a mortal wound on a hit. I'm thinking specifically right now of Zangor yeah. Enlightened. A six to hit gives you an automatic hit, but it's also before they were doing the unmodified uh, right. caveat. So a Zangor Shaman next to them, they uh, now auto-wound you on a 5-up to hit. You put prescience on a unit of them, they are auto-wounding you on a 4. <laughs> Sorry, Warlord Titan. <laughs> um, also, if you have those two models in the same game, you're playing 40 <laughs> um, yeah. Well, So I, I guess, but, yes, if you have a whole unit full of them, you'd have to be pretty canny in what weapons you apply effects like this to, but is it really that meaningful when a land raider has 18 wounds or 16 wounds or however many wounds a land raider's got that if i hit it with a crack missile right off the top it takes a mortal wound so then if you're talking about a devastator squad with four crack missiles he's taken three mortal wounds without any rerolls because that's just the way statistics works out right it's like that your average you're going to average three hits out of four crack missile shots with space marines mm -hmm. and then you're rolling you're deeply unfair you know like he gets a four up save and I do D six damage after that. So probably you're going to average 
no damage from anything but the mortals. And on the, the other end of the spectrum, you know, so it's actually, you might actually do something against the land raider with this unit that costs over a hundred points and is designed to kill land raiders nominally. Um, and on the flip side of that, you, it's like, if know. I shoot crack missiles at guardsmen, well, maybe I paste six guardsmen instead of three. Is that really that critical a difference? Oh, so you're saying even... Yeah, just anything. Because the thing I was going to say is that I miss um, Haywire being a more broadly present... Yeah, I agree. Which it was in 7th. Because I think you could... It might not... uh, You know, maybe they could use the Convention of 8th where the same goddamn rule has different (laughs) names. But you could apply a Haywire-type effect to a crack missile, Right. Right. Where, say, on the 4 plus to wound, it's doing the mortal wound, and then on the 6, it does D3 against vehicles. Because, it's again, it's made to take out vehicles. Because what is interesting to me is that... Um, quick, let's start a second episode <laughs> right now. But uh, what's interesting to me is that um, kind of fleshbane or poison has remained in the game much more prevalently. Yeah. Um, but they took out almost all Haywire from the game. I think it's just kind of Dark Elder and Harlequins for the most part now, eh? Yeah, I mean, there's uh, some of the Craft World specialist units, like Forge World units have it, I think, but for the most part, yeah, it's mm. Harlequins are the big people with it. And then Scourges and uh, Talos from Dark Elder. Yeah, the Dark Elder, the ones I'm really thinking of are the Talos, because I think that's what I see people run in terms of guns yeah scourges are deeply mediocre and have been since the start of eighth but they have fucking cool wings oh they're sweet model dark elder are one of those armies that i can't let myself collect because it would be so subpar (laughs) i would be like johnny looks cool and you would be like why do you have scourge the new incubi everything only rides in a raider and uh, what else would I own? Bruh, I don't know. Three razor wing jet fighters. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, and then you're everything's a witch, and uh, for some reason a homunculus is there when there are no <laughs> actual uh, pockets of flesh or whatever on the board. Well, you know, for uh, casual with teeth, other than the lone homunculus with nobody to back him up, that's not such a terrible list that you just threw together in your mind. Well, I think Dark Eldar are. Um, you know, again, we're, th- we're throwing out all of the, the optimal Space Marine garbage that you can go against these days. But uh, I think Eldar are one of those books that to me feels very easy to build a relatively uh, uh, toothsome army uh, with. I'm not saying they're an easy army to pilot, <laughs> but I think they have enough um, like mediocre to great options in their book. In Dark Eldar? To create for dark elder i don't know that i'd agree with that i'm not saying they have a ton of great i'm saying mediocre too great i th- i still think um uh i think a talos is a very good or not talos yeah. yes talos i always get them confused with chronos um i mean i played for like six years i faced dark elder like <laughs> um yeah you see him in a battle report like once in a blue moon if you don't watch a lot yeah. of scarred cast um but uh, I think Talos are, are are boy, they're they're everything you want a Carnifex or anything else to be, right? Yeah, I mean they're a little light on wounds, but they're um, you need the right obsession on them. But if you 
but the this the obsessions that are good on Talos are the obsessions that are good for everybody else. So I think my my counter to your observation that there are a lot of mediocre to good units in there is that you're not necessarily wrong, but they're the units that are bad in Dark Eldar are abysmally bad. And so if you find yourself accidentally taking a Kronos, for example, you will deeply regret it. Um <laughs> Yeah, I've I've never seen one. Well, no, that's not true. I've seen like one yeah. used once. Well, in earlier editions, they were not quite so bad, but in eighth, they are just just awful. But the other side of the coin is that the the units might not be bad, but the bad obsessions are really really bad. Well, I finally dipped into looking at your guys' uh, psychic awakening because I just had some time. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> and uh boy i have felt bad for a few factions you know tyranids um with their psychic awakening gene sealer cult certainly um although you know tyranids i kind of took a second look at and i'm not gonna sit here and tell everybody that they got everything they needed in their psychic awakening but uh you know it's, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting book uh but gene sealer cult um and dark eldar uh oh boy like who got hurt by them in the games workshop so i if i may remain slightly hopeful you know the party line from gw as of this recording which is the first of june 2020 we haven't seen ninth edition yet but they keep saying that all of the psychic awakening books were written with ninth edition in mind and i gotta wonder what ninth edition is going to look like knowing that dark eldar got essentially nothing other than stabbing buffs for their shooting units and so what so the all of the the big complaint about the psychic awakening dark eldar stuff is that the build your own cabal obsessions have nothing to do with what cabals do well which is they stand at maximum range and they shoot the shit out of you with poison weapons and some dark light i'm familiar with these jerks and all of their new build your own obsession buffs are like on a six to hit in melee combat, your Cabalites do blah. And so then people are like, well, you can take other things than Cabalites in a uh, in a Cabal detachment. But then you got to look a little bit deeper and see that, oh, yeah, well, you can take Incubi in a Cabal detachment, but they don't get the obsession. Right. That was my first thought. I was thinking of Incubi and I think... Yeah, Rangers and Scourges. Right? They're all... You can put them in any of the... Uh, any of the types of detachments and not interfere with your other units getting obsessions. But if you're not an actual witch cult unit or an actual cabal unit, actual homunculus coven, you are not getting the benefit of an obsession. So you're really just slot filling at that point. Not to say that those, it's like the auxilia. It's like mandrakes are good. They don't need an obsession to, to do their job. Um, but you also can't r- assume that, a mandrake is going to get an obsession and that's why the obsession was written is to make mandrakes somehow better is because that's not the way that our codex was written. So anyway. Yeah, it, it actually, it is interesting to me for both guard and dark Eldar thinking about the auxilia plus the mercenaries yeah. and dark Eldar. Uh, some of the, the units with like the highest base, if base like efficacy in the game, like mandrakes, I think have a pretty high, efficacy in in most of the reports i've seen them used correctly and uh you know ditto for bulgren um 
but then they are banned from getting the traits that would help right. those. <laughs> that would kind of take them from this this like good choice to like a great choice. Bulgren don't really need it, I guess. I mean, they're 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 an example of a unit whose like raw stats are so yeah. efficient. And I would love uh, to think that that's but, deliberate, right? Is that the best units? We're we're gonna give you these units. They're really good. They're maybe the best units in your codex. Uh, but you don't get to layer some sort of, you know, choose your own buff on them. I'd be fine with that. But I don't think that Mandrakes and especially Incubi and Scourges are not so good that you need to be cognizant of what buff they're going to get on top of their existing rules. Yeah, I've never heard anybody saying, like, thank God Incubi don't have one more point of strength. This army would tear through everyone with tissue paper. Um, whereas that would kind of be true, I guess. I was just picturing in my mind a unit of Katachan Bulgren who, with their Bulgren Mauls, are now strength eight. And I'm like, nope, you know what? Never the, mind, Games Workshop. Good choice on military. The, the game does eight. not need strength eight Bulgren attacks. Thank you very much. <laughs> Listen, if I could have just had him for one adept. <laughs> so I, I think the last thing before we adjourn that I had sort of a canny idea about to reduce RNG is... A lot of times you get just a really shitty roll for your deployment type. So, you know, the, the, I forget which one it is, but it's like table quarters, excluding the center circle of the map. I forget which one that's called, but. Oh, me too. I don't know almost any of the fun names. I have my, I have my book right here. I'll just, for the benefit of the listeners who don't have all of the deployment maps memorized, be like, yeah, John, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's called Search and Destroy. So it's a nine inch no man's land uh, circle centered on the center of the board. And then you get outside of that uh, no man's land, you get a table quarter. So you get half in both the width and half in the length. So. And your opponent gets the one uh, diagonally across from you. So that, if you're playing a forward assault army, it's like it's got these two prongs on it, right? So it's like, ah, you can get right up in your opponent's face. But I've definitely been in maps where the terrain conspires with that narrow frontage. And I think probably pointy hammer and anvil, uh, which is called Vanguard Strike, maybe. Uh, Which it... No, Vanguard is the uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Spearhead Assault is the one I'm talking about. So it's you have a narrow frontage with uh, one point of your deployment zone that's closest to your opponent. So if you plan a, you know, an assault-heavy army, you, you want to load up your nastiest units in that point. Um, if the terrain conspires against you to, to reduce your ability to maneuver through the closest parts of your deployment zone to your opponent, man, can you just have like a, a hell of a time So I would like there to be some sort of, um, you know, you're randomly rolling deployment zone and match play, which I feel like is 90% of how people out there play, even at a semi-competitive level. And if you could, if each player could veto one deployment type, that would go a long way toward me wanting to play certain armies. Like I have an army that has one Lord Discordant and three Venom Crawlers. And if you're not familiar with those models, they have huge bases and they are dedicated combat units for the most part. So if you are not charging them down your opponent's throat, you are doing something deeply wrong. So if you get a bad combination of terrain and deployment type with those guys, you're essentially saying that 400 points of your army are not going to compete in a meaningful way until about turn four. If Yes. 
I have stuff, certainly had examples of this with uh, my orcs, where my first wave of close combat units are yep. bone breakers. So big fat bodies, uh, you know, they need a certain number of inches between terrain pieces to even fit through. And uh, I've definitely found myself like Austin Powersine my way reversing around <laughs> terrain and like, then re re going around the next corner and to where I end up with like seven inches of movement and like a, you know an impossible you know thirteen yeah. inch charge or whatever. Um, you know I think there's almost uh, there was something I really liked. I don't know if it was in the gallant at Adepticon, um, which for the number of times that I have referenced it in this podcast, uh, people might come to believe that it's the only event <laughs> I've ever been to. But uh, they uh, at Adepticon, you roll off and set up your terrain, which I thought was very do you, interesting. Do you alternate setting terrain pieces with your opponent? Yes. So that's uh, how terrain nominally worked in sixth and seventh edition, right? Gosh, I don't even really remember it in seventh because uh, I didn't go to any GTs in seventh, and the both of the store tournaments that I would go to regularly. Uh, just kind of had yeah. terrain. I think you could. I think we more just talked it out and adjusted yeah. it. No, I mean I think the the actual printed in core rulebook terrain method is that you rolled yeah. off and like there was some role to determine how many terrain pieces were going to go on the table, which I feel like nobody ever used. But the the core mechanic of if you didn't just roll into a casual game and look at a table that was already set up and you know talk about your opponent like okay is this good enough terrain how do you want to change it we can move some stuff around here or there like if you were playing a total stranger in a bog standard competitive setting not itc or whatever i think it was you roll off and and you take turns placing terrain pieces and there are like rules on how close they can be to each other a la objective placement interesting because for a mechanic that I really was uh, uh, on my way to complimenting from Adepticon, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my feeling is like, I was like, oh yeah, we never did that. We just kind of said, this looks good to you, right? This is good for okay for both of our armies. Let's let's do it. Um, I, do, uh, I do have maybe the advantage that I never uh, played a difficult person more than twice. Yeah. And, and the only person I, who I found to be a really difficult human being who I played outside of a, uh, you know, competition where I had to had to be against them or withdraw from a tournament or something was uh, because they filled in at the last minute for the, uh, you know, a 2v2 with the guy that we were. Oh, playing. got it. Um, but yeah, I, I remember 7th, uh, I might actually run and shoot Rafa Tex after this recording, because uh, he was my kind of my primary partner and <laughs> depending um, for that edition, where uh, I think we always just kind of futzed around with terrain yeah. and then agreed on it. But I like an alternating. Well, system. I think in practice, people, like I said, it, it very rarely came out. I just think it was in the book. I'll, I'll check. And... Um... By the time you, the listener, get around to hearing this, I will have already checked and I will have corrected myself. But, you know, this being dad metagaming, please leave us a comment anywhere that we are public facing to say, John, you're an idiot. I can't believe you thought that that was a thing in 6th and 7th edition. <laughs> I don't know if anybody who plays 40K and hears somebody say a wrong thing on the internet would ever call <laughs> an idiot. Uh, <laughs> 
I certainly can't, uh, uh, or I certainly have no problem scrolling through the YouTube comments of battle reports where nice people are largely. Yeah, it's, you know, best. sunshine and rainbows. We all love each other here in 40K <laughs> land. I feel like there is that like 20% maybe, uh, here I go, <laughs> percentages, but you know, that, 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 uh, I would say that real minority of, uh, the hobby that does give it its, uh, reputation for, uh, having, uh, people who love to go just like, yeah. oh, actually, um, but, uh, we are, we are, this is surprisingly, this might end up being our longest episode. <laughs> Uh, which is shocking to me on the subject of RNG because when John and I, we have a spreadsheet with a topic list and when we were looking at it, I was thinking to myself, it is not a subject that I don't want to talk about, but it is low on my passion <laughs> scale as evidenced by the fact that I have about four notes for it. But uh, as with a classic kind of game store chit chat, it's one of these things that turns out, I think that as we drill down into it, we uh, we really had a lot more to say, at yeah. least than I thought. <laughs> but um, let's, if you have one ready, uh, let's throw out a recommendation really quick to close the show, and uh, maybe maybe it will be something that has RNG. Yeah. So my recommendation for this week is a board game called Nemesis. Uh, by the time that this podcast is live, I hope that the Nemesis second. Second Nemesis Kickstarter is still available so that you can back it if you want. I'm a guy who really doesn't like board games for the most part. And Nemesis uh, is one of, it's semi-cooperative, which means you can easily make your friends hate you and learn that you actually secretly hate your friends. But despite those things, tending to get the hell on my nerves, Nemesis is a game that I really enjoy. It does have some elements of RNG. Um, It is technically possible to fight the aliens it's sort of got a very 1979 alien film vibe about it in that you wake up from cryosleep something is going wrong in your spaceship you don't know what it is but you are in the ass end of no place and you you have a personal agenda and a corporate agenda and you win by succeeding at either one of those things uh, and not dying first and there are a thousand ways to die aliens are only part of them uh, some of them come from your friends, uh, you know, quote unquote friends. Some of them come from the vagaries of chance. Um, it's a game that there's a learning curve, but once you get through that, it's a lot of fun. And like I said, there's a, there's a Kickstarter that runs out in about June 15th or something. So maybe you will be able to get into that. But uh, Nemesis board game is my recommendation for this week. Guys, I'm going to spoil this for everybody who wants to hop onto the Nemesis Kickstarter. There's no goddamn way you're here. Because <laughs> we've, got, we've got four in the can behind this, and it is June 1st. So unless we are a twice-a-week podcast. Well, you know, we can, we can do the Netflix anime model and just post everything all at once. That's true. Well, that is a good way to trick people with shows like Stranger Things for a couple seasons into being like, this might be a pretty good show. I did watch it all <laughs> in one day. Uh, if that show came out week to week, critics would have more. Yeah, that's true. Um, my, uh, you know, I'm going to go board game and say uh, Dead of Winter, a game that needs no help and uh, is great. It is also a thing that makes you mistrust your friends, which is a genre that some people 
really don't like, and it's my <laughs> favorite because people. I've tried Secret Hitler. I've played Dead of Winter. Uh, played a couple games of Diplomacy, and uh, here's a, a fact about me. Everyone assumes I'm the secret bad guy. The cards are random. You're randomly selected to be the secret bad guy, but people assume <laughs> that I am no matter what, and it's very hard for me to work together as a group. I don't know what it says <laughs> about my personality, but uh, I don't lead people on to make them think that I am the secret bad guy. But uh, this does have the effect in these types of games that when I do draw the secret bad guy card, ah, shit. Because people, <laughs> people in a way don't see it coming because they assume I've been secret all along. Uh, this is a game um, that creates these very high stakes. It's very cooperative. Um, Emily uh, and I played it with Raph and his wife, Emily. Not awkward. Um, two white women born in the 1980s, so they're both named Emily of Quartz. Um, and uh, Emily, uh, my wife, was pregnant at the time with our uh, second baby, I think. Maybe the first one. I don't know. Don't worry about it. But uh, her emotions got so high because she had also mm. not eaten dinner that as I bamboozled the group of them, into uh, working against their own actual interests and falling into my trap where I needed all three of them to die because the secret card roll I drew was serial killer. Um, and I doomed the entire settlement, including myself, but it played to my secretly motivated dark desires to see as many living humans as possible die. Uh, and the whole careful, like, two hours of gameplay came crashing down on their heads and I, you know, cackled maniacally at the head of the table. I don't actually think I did cackle. I do think it was one of those things where the game was so tense to this point that I was like, guys, I'm so, <laughs> sorry. I'm so, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, Emily until the pizza arrived from the fine delivery place accused me of possibly being a her emotions were very, very high between pregnancy hormones and no, no dinner <laughs> hormones or no dinner hangriness. Um, but it is uh, speaking of like charge rolls and uh, vehicle explosions in 40k, because of the possible traitor element, uh, it is a game that runs on very high emotions and suspicion and uh, is very good at recreating that element from like zombie fiction of, who is worse, the zombies you're fighting against or the people you're trapped yeah. in safety with? So that is going to do it for us this week. Um, I don't know because I'm about to move when our next recorded episode is going to happen, but we are on the eve of ninth edition, as it were. It looks like it's probably a few weeks away. So uh, I'm moving to the merry state of Washington, um, where people are still quarantining in any meaningful way as of June 1st. Uh, unlike Texas, where you can be naked and shoot your six gun through somebody else's face mask. Um, and then I think throw like a live. Please, Logan, you can shoot somebody in the face, but I'm sure it's not going to go through a face mask if Texas is anything like North Carolina. <laughs> that's true you would uh you would uh, speaking of rng it would have to be the one in a million <laughs> shot to hit me the one in a million Houstonian still wearing a fucking mask um but uh on that uh our next episode is likely i think to either be um sportsmanship if i'm picking a topic 
or we may be diving into our first thoughts on ninth edition uh depending on when that drops and when i'm able to get a recording set up again so thank you everybody for listening uh please rate us on whatever platform you are listening on and on the next episode i will be dropping any of our social media handles and our email so that you can reach out to us and tell us what you think about all the shit we talk about a game that we love all right goodbye everybody goodbye